This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very excited to have with me all the way from Denver, Colorado, Alex King from Crowd Favorite. Hey, Alex, how are you? Hey, Troy. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Absolute pleasure. Now, you are still in Denver, Colorado. I've got that right, haven't I? I am, yep, and I'm staying here through the holiday weekend, so not not heading out anywhere. Awesome, yeah, right, because it's Thanksgiving there tomorrow, isn't it? That's right. That's right, cool. Um, thank you for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. We're going to talk about all things WordPress, crowd favorites, some interesting developments have been happening there, uh, but before we get into that, quick announcement, Alex has very kindly sponsored a prize for this week's competition. He is giving away a copy of Ramp, which if you haven't checked out, you should. Just go to crowdfavorite.com and have a look at the Ramp page there. It's basically a way to push WordPress sites, files, and databases uh, and content from staging to live. Have I got that right, Alex? Yeah, it, it deals with specifically WordPress content, so not stuff that you should be um storing version control if you're setting up a proper environment. So not your theme files or your plugin files or things like that, but your media files and your um, the content that's stored in the database. Got it. So you can effectively develop uh, like a whole new section of your site and see it populated with content on a staging environment before you push it live, and then you use Ramp to actually just push the content live, yeah? That's exactly right. So the 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 use case that I think is um, a good illustration is the the situation where you're going you're actively maintaining your production site. You're posting to the blog, putting up news, making small changes, things like that. While you're also setting up maybe a new section of the site or redoing a, a high value page or something like that in your staging environment. And you can do all of that work in your staging environment. And then once it's ready to go live, you can push up just those changes. And it doesn't matter that you've continued to maintain the site in production because it's not a full database replacement. It's an incremental, you select the stuff you want to push up and, and move it over. Great. And that is a huge problem that needed to be solved in the WordPress development environment. And I'm not sure there's, I mean, I remember looking at Ramp three years ago when I was looking for, for something to do this. And I'm not sure that there's anything else on the market that does anything similar. Am I, am I wrong or? Um, yeah, I think the, the closest thing out there is um, Brad's um, WP Migrate. DB Migrate Pro or something yeah. like that, yep. um, but that does a full database migration as opposed to a partial. Um, so if you're looking for a full database migration, that would be a better tool. Say if you're moving a site from you know uh, location A to location B or something like that. Uh, whereas Ramp is a tool that um, can kind of work with you long term if you um, have a, a setup where you have a staging and production environment. Yeah. So if you just want to push new content onto the live environment, then it won't replace the whole database. It just pushes that new content in. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, before we get all geeky and talk about WordPress, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a major league baseball player, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, baseball was my sport growing up, and and uh, I thought there, there couldn't be anything better than, you know, 
getting to play baseball every day and traveling around and stuff like that. And now I think about what it would be like to travel that much and play 162 games a year. And I think I'm much better suited for what I'm doing now. <laughs> so you had no, no ambitions to be an astronaut. It seems that everyone I speak to in the WordPress space who lives in the States wanted to be an astronaut when they were a kid. Um, I, I was definitely into space and stuff like that, but, um, yeah, it, it wasn't a goal so much as a, I, I think I was kind of hoping that it, by the time I grew up, everybody would be able to go up into space. Right. <laughs> well, you know, we may still get there. Uh, yeah. so when did you discover the web? Uh, I started playing around on the web in the mid nineties. Um, I, Let's see, probably right around 95, 96, uh, made my, my first initial sites. Um, some can be found on archive.org. Please don't go look. Cool. Um, <laughs> and, and I started uh, uh, doing it professionally in uh, 97, I believe. Cool. What were you using back then to build websites out of curiosity? Uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> so I was using BBA Edit, the same tool I use today, which wow. is pretty remarkable. Um, wow, seriously! Uh, on a Mac, um, had a, a Power Center one thirty two. It was back when they were allowing the clones, um, and I also uh, tinkered around with like uh, Adobe PageMill and stuff like that early on, but I. Um, I kind of gave up on all the WYSIWYG stuff fairly quickly and enjoyed having kind of the direct control of, of the code. Yeah. And um, do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Well, it wasn't the WordPress dashboard. It was the B2 dashboard. <laughs> Old school, um, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I found um, B2 when I was looking for a... a system to run a blog um, I had a, a colleague at work that had a personal blog and also maintained a blog for the company and I read through both of the, both blogs in their entirety and all the people that he'd linked to on his blog role and I thought this is this is cool I want to I want to do this so um, I, I found B2 because I'd been tinkering around with uh, PHP and, and MySQL and um, wanted a system that I'd be able to customize, um, so I, I started tinkering with B two, and um, once that became WordPress in what two thousand three ish, I think. Um, then ended up I I, may, I stayed on B two for probably about six months after WordPress had launched before I switched over to it. Wow! So were you kind of privy to all those? Were you kind of aware of all the kind of forum conversations that were going on between Matt and, and Mike at that point where they were looking to fork B2 and continue development and, and make it something else? Or were you oblivious to that until it kind of hit, until it became a reality? I was casually aware of them, but I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to it. Um, I was, you know, it, it was working fine for my purposes. And um, I liked the idea of having it be an active project but um i didn't have the vision for like we should make this something that can you know become what it is today 
Um, my, Mike Little, though, is uh, he's probably the guy that's most responsible for me um, being involved because um, he took a lot of his time to um, send me feedback for um, customizations that I'd made to be to and improve them, things like that, and helped me do them better because he had a lot more experience than I did. Wow. Um, and then when they did roll out the first version of uh, WordPress, um, they took a couple of, um, they were called hacks at the time, um, that I created for B2. And, uh, those got rolled into the first, first version of WordPress, which is kind of cool. So would that, would, would that hack now be considered a patch or a plugin? They were basically patches um, because there was no plugin architecture. Mm. So it was attempting to do what a plugin would do, add additional features, uh, things like that. Um, but the only way to do it was by basically going in and changing code, mostly done on in the front-end template. And at the time, there was like a single index.php file that was the entirety of the theme. Wow. That's, wow. That's, I just can't even get my head around that. Um, that was long, <laughs> long before I started playing with WordPress, that's for sure. Um, Okay, let's fast forward to today, uh, thinking about crowd favorite. How do you describe what you do in one sentence? When you meet someone for the first time and they say, hey, Alex, what do you do? What's your elevator pitch? Uh, yeah, I'm bad at this. I say I build stuff on the web. <laughs> you build stuff on the web. Cool, awesome. Yeah. That's um, good. That's nice and concise. Yeah, our... Our pitch is that if you've if you've got an interesting problem you'd like to solve, we we can try to help you do that. Um, nice. Uh, it's yeah. I, luckily, by the time uh, I talk to people, I I don't have to give them an elevator pitch most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> They've already found out a little bit about us or um, yeah. been on our site or whatever. What if they've got a really boring problem that they need solving? Um. If it's really boring, we'll actually pass on it because uh, if if I bring a bunch of um, boring problems to my developers, they're not going to want to continue working here. <laughs> you know, Alex, what are you doing to us? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, okay, what do you so so, so at, as the uh, what is your role there? What are you CEO or founder or what do you what do you call yourself? Um, yeah, so at the moment, at least, I'm I'm, I'm the the person who's ultimately responsible for stuff. I, I get the blame. So, um, so, so in that role, what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Are you still on the tools, so to speak? It, it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, uh, I'm responsible for recruiting um, for. Uh, the type of kind of business development and marketing that we do is basically to try to do interesting things and then let people know that we've done them and you know release them out into the world. Um, so if if I have ideas that I think um, would be fun to pursue, we'll do that. Uh, things like uh, our capsule development um, journal for that we built on top of WordPress was a good example of that. Um, occasionally I'll um, get in and actually write some code. Um, I 
sit in on architecture design meetings. Uh, I'm a resource, technical resource to my team if uh, they've got questions on things. Um, I'm the resident historian if people have what, uh, some sort of understanding of why something's working the way it is in WordPress and why it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I can sometimes try to explain it to them. Um, I work with uh, a couple of folks on the team to um, look at uh, new projects um, and try to help scope those, um, bring up any potential issues and uh, red flags or areas of concern on those. Um, I do employee reviews. I do uh, make sure that um, you know things are getting coordinated for uh, our cabin up in Breck, that, uh, Breckenridge that we have for our team. Um, various HR responsibilities. It, oh. Yeah, that, there's there's a lot of stuff in the day to day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you sound like a very busy man. Um, What's the one part of your business that uh, stops you from being able to switch off at night? Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm fairly fortunate that I don't really have something at this point that's keeping me up at night. Um, but the, the thing that I focus most on is making sure that my team's in good shape, that um, people are engaged and challenged, and that... Um, if we do have an opening uh, like we do right now, we're hiring right now, um, that we're bringing in somebody who's both going to help um, push us professionally and is going to be a real good fit culturally. I like this kind of philosophy that you have that it sounds to me like it's you understand how important it is to keep your employees engaged and interested in their work, which in in my experience and understanding is equally as important as good remuneration but it sounds to me like you're very focused on keeping your employees excited and engaged in what they're doing yeah i mean i our industry is really uh, really interesting uh, typically anybody who um, we'd be willing to hire can get a job pretty much anywhere they want and um it, it's you know a combination of the things that we offer that appeals to them. Um, so, I, I, anytime you have a services business, um, you know, your team is basically your product, and so the health of that team is the health of your product, and you know that's that's priority number one. I interviewed Jake Goldman yesterday, and he he said. He put me on the spot and he said, what do you think it is we sell at 10up? And I'm like, well, I don't know, websites, solutions to clients. And he sort of dug a little bit deeper and eventually he said, we sell people. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's what we sell. We, we sell people and their time and their expertise. And it was a very similar sentiment to what you're saying is that your product is your team. That's right. Yeah, that's the thing that enables us to, um, to do everything else. How did you – I'm a little bit off script here, but I just want to explore this for a minute. How did you come to that realization? Did you have – as you were growing the business, did you have external mentors or, or business coaches or people that you looked up to that kind of taught you this stuff? Or was it just something that's, that you realized organically through trial and error? How did you come to this realization that 
your people and your team are the most important asset? Um, yeah, it was very organic. Um, I, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, so maybe about three years into the business, um, I realized that um, we we had had a couple of people leave that um, I was sorry to see go, and we were in the process of hiring, and I was looking around, and like the dynamic wasn't exactly what I thought it should be, and I realized that I wasn't focusing a lot of energy on that side of things. That you know, my I, I was a developer; I wasn't a manager uh, prior to starting the business, and um, probably the the biggest mistake I made was not um, learning to focus on the team. Uh, early on, so it, at some point I realized that you know I wasn't in um, in the code you know forty hours a week anymore. I wasn't building a, uh, a product directly. That what I was actually the important thing for me to do was to kind of cultivate this team and, and make sure that was working well. And I realized that was kind of my product. And if I treated it sort of like a development project, that um, you know, I, I would probably be in a lot better shape. So I sort of tackled it that way because that was, you know, how I knew how to approach large problems. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think I probably took the, the long way around to learning a bunch of important lessons. Um, a business coach or something like that might have been a lot more direct. <laughs> yeah, but there is something about actually going through. I mean, you can... You can hear. I was thinking about this last night. I'm a I'm a sucker for information and learning, and I listen to podcasts and interviews and do courses all the time. But I still think you need to actually experience something yourself to fully understand its truth. You know, you can learn as much as you want from mentors and coaches and you know people that that, that inspire you and that motivate you and you look up to. But it's not until you actually go through the process of doing something yourself that you understand the fundamental truths about business and about people and about management. Uh, yeah, I think that that's true really with anything. I mean, it's really valuable to take three years of someone's experience, distill down to a half hour and, and digest it, right? Yeah. You're getting a lot of the important stuff, but you're losing all of the, um, the errata, the minutia, the, the stuff that where the devil's in the details. Um, yeah. And, you don't get the experience of kind of pushing and pulling those levers yourself to see, well, actually, if I continue going down this road, what would have happened? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that there's um, there's no substitute for experience, and the the older I get, the more I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you do when you're not working? How do you chill out? Um, so, I've got a four and a half year old daughter that. Uh, takes up a, a good part of my time, which is great. She's she's fantastic, and um, I like to golf and um, play volleyball athletically, and then um, you know tinkering around with technology is you know that's fun for me. So I did a little bit of that too. Cool. Now, I read a blog post on your uh, website yesterday, and I wasn't aware of this, but you were diagnosed with cancer earlier this year, 
And you've written about it on your website and how it's uh, how it's affected your business and how it's affected you know some of the structure that you've put into your business. Two two parts to this question. First of all, why did you write about it? And second of all, how has it changed your life and your approach to business? Mm-hmm. Well, so the, the first the first part. I mean, a lot of the. Uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of times people ask me questions and my answer is always that is the easiest thing to do. <laughs> um, like there was no like grand plan for for half the stuff that I've done that people have asked me about. It's just like, no, no, that was the obvious choice in front of me. I, a lot of um, my professional life uh, is online and it's, um, you know, coordinating with people and things like that. Um, if I hadn't, said something publicly about it, I would be constantly having to tell people privately and asking people to schedule around my treatments and things like that. Um, so being able to uh, just put it out there publicly just <laughs> made life a whole lot easier. Uh, the, the second part of your question, repeat that for me. Um, how, how has it changed your life and your approach to your business? Um, oh, no, it's a big yeah, question. This is, it is, but but it's actually something I, I've thought a little bit about, and I, I think the biggest thing is um, it's it's been a sharpener for me. Um, so, whereas before I would um, look at things along the spectrum, and a whole bunch of stuff would fall into the kind of this gray area in the middle, right? And this has kind of helped push things into black and white, where you know. I used to have um, 160 some odd domains, and uh, I've looked at those over the last year. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Never going to get to those ideas, right? Like, they're not important enough. They, they, I'm just going to drop them completely, right? They're, um, you, you end up with this kind of backlog of baggage of things that you want to do, and. Um, the more things that you're putting effort into, the less you're. You know, it, it's the idea of like putting more wood behind one arrow, right? Yeah. yeah. The less things you can really do well, so um, it, it's helped me kind of um, focus on on the things that are most important to me. That's a great. Uh saying, I'm just going to write that down, more wood behind one arrow. That's a, yeah. that's a, never heard that before, but it's, it's a really nice visual way of thinking about focusing your energy into a concentrated space rather than having it sprayed all over the place. That's right. Yeah. Are you, do you, are you working less now because of this diagnosis? Like if you step back a little bit and, and kind of, I mean, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're always, you know, most of us are working stupid hours because we're kind of addicted to the growth and we're addicted to the business side of things and we love it. Are you, have, are you, have you consciously gone, well, you know what, I'm going to spend more time with my daughter or more time playing volleyball or more time playing golf or and less time in, 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 in meetings? Um, I had a little bit of that, um, gosh, year and a half ago or so, um, I, I was starting to burn out and it had just been, you know, too many things piling up on my plate that 
I, I noticed that there were some things that I did during the day and afterwards like I couldn't wait to get back to doing them. And certain things I would do them and I'd just feel exhausted and worn out and you know didn't want to go back into work the next day. And so I basically said, okay, how can I do more of these and less of these? Mm. And so I, I um, restructured some of the responsibilities internally and um, got some things off my plate. And with the uh, um, merger with Velo Media, um, there'll be some more of that stuff um, coming off my plate, which is going to be great. And I'll be able to focus more on the things that I, uh, that I really enjoyed doing. Awesome. Uh, nice segue into my next question. You've just been so. So, how does this work? You've been acquired by Velo Media, or you've merged with Velo Media. Um, how did that come about, and and why? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting um, relationship. I think uh, technically we're being acquired, um, but it's the crowd favorite brand going forward, and it's not like a traditional acquisition where you know you've got like this big established company that's acquiring a startup actually we've been around for uh, what six and a half years and they've been around for a year and a half um, so you know we've grown our business um, very much um, I say kind of bottom up uh, where our roots are in the technology, and we're we've learned how to um, operate on the business side well enough to be successful, and, and that's you know like where our biggest areas of growth were um, over the last well, three years or so. But there's still things that um, with the team of sixteen and only really kind of one person part time. Responding to inbound leads, like we're not doing any out, we weren't doing any outbound business development. Where we don't have a team of three people that can um, fly in to have a, a meeting with a, a client, where you know at a certain level everybody else is doing that. Yeah, sure. Um, and most uh, most WordPress shops. Um, have kind of come from this perspective, right? Kind of a bottom-up growth uh, pattern. Velomedia, um, and uh, specifically, and their founder Kareem has—he's um, got a ton of experience working kind of at that uh, with with those upper-tier uh, clients, and he understands what's necessary to. Um, you know, get get them to sign on initially, keep them happy, et cetera, et cetera. And so, he uh, when he was uh, beginning to build Velo Media, he was doing that um, with that goal in mind. So, we have uh, what eleven makers and like three project managers, uh, four project managers. Um, they're like one-to-one -one technical to non-technical people on their teams, right? And they've got more uh, account management, and, uh, project management, sales, business development, like that aspect of their business. Um, but they still have um, a focus on employee culture and 
um, development quality, which is rare in kind of a more sales marketing driven uh, business. So I, I feel like you know the the two teams actually fit together really well. And how did the how did the conversations start? Like who 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 kind of put the feelers out first? Um, we we were just um, talking about um, kind of our different backgrounds and um, where the strengths of our teams were, and it, it became really obvious that um, you know, we were much more established technically, and there were some some things that had you know we had kind of organically put together in terms of best practices and policies and operations and stuff like that um, that. Uh, Vela Media was, you know, still working on those things, and from the business development side, um, they were doing things a lot smarter than we were. Uh, so, uh, we, that was kind of how the, the conversation began. And so, Velo Media, so the brand, so the company becomes crowd favorite moving forward. Velo Media is no longer; they are now crowd favorite, and that is the brand of the two of the the merger. That's correct. Wow, you you must be pretty proud of that, yeah. I think it's yeah. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, let's talk about crowd favorite a little bit. When did you decide that you wanted to build a, a, a real company and, and not just be a freelancer? Um. Uh, yeah. It, there was no thought process like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too much work on, right? Yeah, it, it was. I I, I feel like um, I've been the the recipient of a lot of serendipity in my career, um, kind of in the right place at the right time. The other way of looking at that, of course, is maybe seeing opportunities and taking advantage of them. Um, but uh, so basically, I, I came out of a, a startup that I'd done uh, with a friend of mine that kind of fizzled and. Um, uh, Matt um, Mullenweg got in touch with me and asked if I would um, respond to an RFP that was out there um, for a big publisher that was considering WordPress. So I did, and um, a friend of mine and I ended up building the All Things D site, which was the first like major publisher in the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones, uh, to use WordPress for something other than uh, blog platform. I think the New York Times and uh, was using it for blogging um, specifically at the time. Okay, but this so was, what, you know, what was the name of that site that you built? All things, all things D dot com. All things all, D. Yeah, all things digital. I uh-huh, got you. Just going to put a link, uh, a link to that under the show notes. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, a site for the, the the Wall Street Journal moved. Replicated all of their Walt Mossberg archives and Kerswich archives into this site, and then they also wrote original content for that site. And whenever um, a Mossberg column was published in the Wall Street Journal, it would be simultaneously published on the site. And it's also the home of the D conference and stuff like that. Gotcha. So um, yeah, it was it was uh, a really fun project, and um, you know, it felt great to. Launch it, and and then after that, um, you know, th- it was right around that time that a lot of people were looking at WordPress for, 
you know, l- larger, more interesting projects. And some of those people started talking to me, and I was looking at it, going, "Man, these are really cool opportunities. People that I'd really like to work with, but I can't do all of this myself." Yeah. So that was kind of um, what drove me to consider trying to bring somebody on. And how, so, how did you manage that growth? How did you? I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to get right to manage growing a company like that. There's cash flow. There's getting the right people. There's getting systems and processes. What, what what do you think the key ingredient was for you to do that successfully and not collapse or burn out? Um, probably the the key factor is probably ignorance, um, <laughs> na- naivete. That it you know it, you just do it. And if you don't completely fail, you, you end up keep <laughs> continuing to do it, and then you're a success, right? Right. But it, it's just a matter of doing it. Um, yeah, cash flow is important. Like, you hire people, you need to pay them. Um, so now it's you have a responsibility for making sure that your, your pipeline is healthy and um, that you're not hiring beyond that. Uh, we definitely um, grew slowly. We were... Uh, say maybe five people at the end of the first year, um, up to maybe eight by the end of the second, and then it took us another couple of years to get up to fourteen, fifteen, sixteen people. So we we're adding, you know, just a couple of people a year, and there's a little bit of turnover along the way. Um, learned about a lot about you know what types of profiles of people would would work well and what wouldn't. Her and who wouldn't? Um, I'd never been responsible for hiring before, so all of that was was new to me. There was a lot of a lot of growth necessary there. Um, I feel like we're pretty good at it now, but um, uh, de- definitely had a few hiccups early on. So just good old fashioned trial and error, hey? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's something that, that um, we really embrace and, and talk a lot about. Um, the crowd favorite is constantly trying to do things in a better way. So um, whenever everybody's told that they have the um, they're empowered at any point in time to suggest improvements to anything that we do, and that could be you know how we take lunch orders for our tech lunches or things like that. It could be um, changes to coding standards. It could be re- refactoring. Uh, our internet, or changing tools that we use, or um, suggesting a new technology—you uh, know—anybody has a good idea, we want to hear about it. Cool. What's um, what's the hiring process like? Do you do you do that? Do you do that thing where you get someone to work on a project with you as a kind of a freelancer and check them out and test out their skill set, or do you just bring them straight in and induct them? No, I actually think that that's. R- um, really potentially problematic, um, the kind of bringing them on as a freelancer thing. One of the things that we found is that um, this is a sweeping generalization, but um, freelancers don't always make good employees. In fact, they often don't. <laughs> That's why they're freelancers, right? <laughs> well, they've been trained um, throughout their their time as a freelancer, that they need to be looking out for themselves, that they need to be thinking about what their next thing is, right? And so it's not the same sort of team building mentality that um, someone may have that's 
been at a job for several years and um, watched their contributions help that team grow and um, learned how to mentor other people and things like that. It's a, it's a very different mentality. And if someone has a, a job working somewhere else in, in the tech space, they most likely have assigned um, an IP assignment agreement with their company that covers any work that they do that isn't explicitly um, carved out from it. Um, so if you then say, okay, we want you to do a project with us, are they supposed to go back to their employer and say, I need an exception to our IP assignment agreement to do this work for this other company? <laughs> Yeah. Right. That's a pretty weird thing. That's awkward. If they just do it on the side, then you're opening yourself up for that company to potentially come and have an IP claim on something that was done. Sure. Uh, some like automatic. Um, typically, they they do stuff that's um, already open source when they're uh, having people do their trial projects, but. I, I spoke to uh, uh, somebody pretty senior over there and asked him about this. And he said, that's a good question. I have no idea how we handle this. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it, it's not necessarily a solved problem. Um, yeah, what we, tr what we do is um, we're fairly stringent in the initial vetting process. Um, like I, I posted um, available positions yesterday. We've had 30-some-odd responses in the last 24 hours. Um, of those, I've got a list of five that um, I'm going to follow up with and try to get some code samples and things like that. Um, of those, then... Um, Maybe three will do like phone interviews, and um, maybe one or two will come in to meet with the team. And that process is normally about a half a day. Uh, we normally do it in the afternoon. And uh, people come in, they meet with um, at least one front-end developer, at least one back-end developer, um, and uh, normally two project managers and me. So they're meeting with between four, six, seven people wow. and over the course of four or five hours. And uh, everybody has kind of different questions that they ask. Um, the project managers talk about process, culture, and um, kind of personal organization uh, approaches, things like that. Um, the developers do uh, technical vetting and uh, Wait, well, the thing that we really try to do is figure out where people's boundaries are. Um, you know, everybody has strengths and, and weaknesses based on their experience. So we just want to understand where those are and understand how that profile might fit in with the uh, um, the rest of the experience we have on the team. Wow, it's a bit different to the standard kind of come in, sit down one hour with the person who's hiring you and then you're out the door. It's, uh, so you really kind of try and see how they're going to fit into the culture before you bring them in. Yeah, and I think it's really important that um, you know if we decide to give somebody an offer that 
they're not sitting there going, man, I, I'm just, I met with one person that seemed pretty cool. I hope everybody else is okay, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's important uh, for me that they get a sense of what our culture is like and they're able to ask questions of people in different roles um, mm. to you know, see how people – like one of the things that um, I think would be smart for them to do is ask the same question to each person, mm. right, and see how the, the responses differ, right? Mm. I think that that's a good way of kind of getting a, a sense of how um, a team approaches problems. Mm. Hey, there you go. If anyone here is applying to work at Crowd <laughs> Favorite, you just got the inside scoop. Have a question up your sleeve and ask everyone you meet on the day. Um, let's talk a little bit about – uh, you, you guys do client services and you also make some products. So how do you, how do you, as the driver of the bus, so to speak, how do you split your resources between client services and product development? Um, yeah, it's a good question and it's not an easy answer. Right. <clears throat> so... I think the thing that we try to do is not have so many products that we can't effectively support and continue to build on them. And then we try to do what's right by each product. So, um, you know, we're constantly using our own tools when we're working with clients. So we, it, it, we don't have a shortage of ideas of things to productize or things to... Uh, new features to add to some of our released products, but um, we're you know ninety plus percent uh, a services business, and the the product stuff is a lot of fun, but it's not where the majority of our revenue comes from. So um, I can't take half the team and just put them on product work. Uh, so we you know we make sure that everything's up-to-date with and compatible with current versions of WordPress, things like that. Um, we like we just added a whole bunch of features to Carrington Build as we we're rebuilding our website. Um, and over the next couple months as we finish kind of refining those uh, and feeling like, okay, they're, they're polished enough to release to everyone else, those will... Um, you know, be a new version of Carrington Build. Um, we're also, um, we've got a guy who's working on refactoring ramp um, <clears throat> aspects of how the ramp process works behind the scenes to make it easier to extend. Like, it's already extensible. Like, you can do everything you want to do, but some of it's uh, a bit of a pain and um, improving how developers can interact with it seemed like something that we should do. So that's we've got somebody working on that right now as, as well. So you, uh, you, you, you eat your own dog food, so to speak, and you develop products that are going to help you deliver client services, and then you have these products that you then release, some for free, some are paid, into the marketplace. But ultimately, you develop these products to scratch your own internal itch. Pardon, <laughs> pardon a very bad way. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's right. Um, I I think that if if you're not your own customer, yeah, it, it's hard to make a really great product. Mm. Yep, great advice. Um, 
What's the one part of your business that you'd like to fix? If you could wave a magic wand and fix just one thing in your business, what would it be? Yeah, so you mentioned this earlier, and I was, I was thinking, by the time you asked me this question, I'm going to have an answer for it. Um, I don't really have a, a good answer uh, for this. I, I actually feel pretty good about how we're doing uh, most things. I think if there's one thing I think we could really do better, it would be um, making the onboarding process for new employees a little bit um, less stressful. We, I, I hear time and time again that you know from developers coming on, like, man, I was the guy where I was at, or, or the gal, and like I knew where how everything worked, and people came to me with questions, and I I just felt like an idiot for three months, like I didn't <laughs> know what was going on. And so now we tell people this, like when we're like, you're gonna come on, you're not gonna understand all the processes, you're not gonna know, you know, where things are. It's fine. It's expected. Don't worry about it. And you know, in a couple months, everything will will feel comfortable. And we tell people that, and they don't really believe us because where they're at, they're you know, um, king of the mountain. Very yeah. And uh, it, it, we 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 don't really. Um, we've got a lot of stuff written down. We've got. Um, a lot of things documented. We've got a lot of tools um, that make things easier, but you have to under—you have to know what all the tools are, and you have to know where they are. And you have to know how to use them. And you know, we we use SAS for front-end develop or for CSS, right? And we've got deployment scripts for um, putting sites live and creating local development environments and. Uh, we use uh, Git Flow, so if they don't already know Git, they have to learn Git, and then they have to understand Git Flow, which is basically a, a branching model for Git. Um, they have to um, learn about uh, our internal task management system, our intranet, uh, how we use Google Docs, like all of these different things that they have to get comfortable with kind of all at once. Mm. Whereas, you know, I look back and I was like, oh, yeah, these, you know, we've made small changes to things over six and a half years. And then you try to drop that entire thing on somebody and it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so the, the people that are, that are successful with this are typically people that are, you know, comfortable with a little bit of uncertainty with the confidence that, like, everywhere I've been, I've been able to figure stuff out. I'll figure this out, too. Yeah. Sounds like you need a uh, like a, a welcome pack that uh, you know. We have that. Right. It's several pages thick. We print it out and give it to people on the first day, and it explains where things are. And it, it, it's not something that uh, that we're not that we're just ignoring. It's something we are working on. Um, but I, I think that um, it's definitely something we could do better. Cool. Um, how are, you speak a bit at functions and events, and you have been a big contributor of free plugins to the WordPress community. How important do you think that is from a positioning point of view? Yeah, I, I've had a lot of people um, talk to me about how I was so smart to create all these free plugins to help me build a business. 
and I, it just didn't happen that way. Um, <laughs> the, the plugins were all created because I had an idea for something that I wanted to put on my own site or whatever, and then I just released it as a plugin. Um, the uh, so it, does it help build reputation? Absolutely. Does it help show people that you can solve problems? Yes, very much so. Um, will those things help you get business? Yes, they will. But those are all kind of happy byproducts of each other, right? There are yeah. a lot of people out there that release plugins that aren't trying to have a business. And at the time that I was releasing a lot of these plugins, I was in the midst of doing another startup. I wasn't even doing any consulting work. Um, so um, it, it, it's one of those things where like, people look back at it now and connect dots that maybe shouldn't necessarily be connected. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, speaking, um, I have had a chance to to speak a little bit. Um, it's something I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at. Um, but the thing that interests me about speaking is um, it, it's interesting to me when I feel like I have something to say. And um, as I've gotten more experience, I feel like I've got more stuff to share. So that's... Um, that's kind of how I how I approach that. Um, I think that if you you know if you're going to be speaking, it's a chance to um, you know reach a, a wider audience, but it, it's also a chance to screw up in front of a wider audience. So <laughs> you gotta you know it, it's uh, it, it's it's probably a good a good risk to take most of the time. Yeah, yeah, good advice. All right, let's do the, the quick lightning round. For those of you that don't know, uh, we have WP Elevation, which is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants who want to build a consulting business. So who better to ask uh, for some advice? Someone like Alex King, who is there and who is doing it. So a quick fire round, just off the top of your head, um, quick answers to these questions. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Um... I would say, especially early on, don't take on projects you can't knock out of the park. Um, if your your business is going to grow based on your reputation, and if you are willing to take small steps and um, you know allow things to grow organically you're going to have a very stable base to work from in the future. If you go for something really big and you miss really big, now you've got trying to make up for that along with trying to build on your successes. It's a much more difficult road, I think. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? <sighs> So this is interesting. Uh, I, I was I was talking with Kareem um, last week, and he, he said, you know, we should sit down and, and make a list of um, companies that we think would be good customers for us, um, for for to, that we can talk to in 2014. I thought that's an interesting idea. I've never thought even thought about doing that before. <laughs> 
you know, I, we've been in, in the fortunate position that um, all, all of our business has been word of mouth and inbound. Um, so I think the, the things that we've done to get new customers are, you know, what I talked about earlier, um, do interesting things and, and uh, talk about them a little bit. Awesome. Uh, do you write proposals? Any, if you do, any tips on writing better proposals that actually mean something and convert? You mean like RFP responses yeah. or just kind of general just proposals general for, proposal for projects? Client says, you know, we're interested in working with you. Can you give us a proposal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we have actually a fairly large um, language library for proposals at this point um, where we have a basic outline of what our proposal looks like. And then we bring in um, various bits that we've written over time. So anytime we write something that we think is good, we'll save it as part of this library. Mm. Um, and and then as you, you know, every project is different. You can't just plug stuff in uh, off the shelf to satisfy all proposals. But um, you do start to see kind of patterns and repetitions, and you know anything that can you know save you sixty percent of your time is going to be a big win. Nice. What's the what's your favorite tool for CRM? Yeah, I, what do you mean by CRM? Well, customer relationship. So CRM is customer relationship right, management. Right. So yeah, but some people look at that as like pipeline sales management. Some of it look. Some people look at it as handling support. Like, what are you asking? Yeah, well, I don't know, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so if you if you need to have a conversation with a customer, mm -hmm. do you have a tool where? you know, all, all the crucial information about that customer is kept in one place and you know the conversa you know what the conversation needs to be to get that customer to where you want them to get. No. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we uh, especially on the the lead side our, our tools are very light. Uh, we basically use our internal task management system, which is not very well suited for it. Um, and uh, and then we have um, kind of the the proposal stuff is all in a Git Git repository. So, um, yeah, that that's something that I, I think we can still do better. So, do you have do you have a sales pipeline tool that that shows you where things are at? Not particularly, no. Ah. We it's it's become one of those things that like we've been doing it long enough. We kind of know where we kind of know where things are at. Yeah, yeah. We can see like these are the open things, and you know once something's committed, it goes into our systems there, and um, and that that's always you know a month or two out. So um, yeah, we, we we don't use any traditional tools there. Maybe we should. Interesting. Well, I, mean, I think you're doing pretty well, man. Maybe you just <laughs> don't fix it if it's not broken. <laughs> yeah, it, it hasn't it hasn't gotten um, high enough on the uh, on the list, on the to, list. To, to get addressed yet. What's the best way to keep a project on track and to keep a client on track? Um, so I, I think that there's two things that kind of go hand in hand. One is internally, you need to have a very good sense of what the project is and where you are in that process. And then you need to be really clear about communicating that process to the client. So the client has a good understanding of 
where the project is and what they can expect. Um, one of the things that I think is really important to remember is that we do this all the time. Clients don't. Like there's no there's no client school for them to go to and like learn how to be a good client. And they're certainly not going to be a services business that's uh, used to making websites. So you know, this is probably something that a portion of their business goes through every couple of years. And some of those people turn over. So a lot of the people that we work with are building a website eff effectively for the first time. And so we want to give try to help them see as much of the, the big picture as we think they can understand, um, explain why we're taking things the way we're taking them. This is the process that, that we follow. These are the risks that we help mitigate by following this process. And then letting people know um, what, what they can expect when and meeting those expectations. And when you do all of that, you build a lot of trust. And that trust um, allows the client to feel comfortable that their project is in a good place. Mm, that is gold. I'm just going to make a little note of that to put that in the show excerpt because, um, um, because you know, the thing, about, the thing about client relationships, it's all about managing expectations. But, you know, one of the best ways to manage expectations is to make sure everyone understands everyone's expectations and that all the expectations are transparent and everyone's on the same page. Yeah, one of the things people forget about when, like, when you're managing expectations, like, normally you can help set them. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Yeah, that's exa you're absolutely right. I was talking to one of our colleagues yesterday and, um, you know, I was saying that, that your client's not equipped to make those decisions you need to be making those decisions for the client because you know how this rolls. The client's looking to you for answers here. So you kind of get to build the roadmap and get the client to buy into that roadmap. If you leave it up to the client, the client hasn't got the skill set to, to say what should be ready when and what they need to give you when. So it's, uh, it's an interesting way to look at it, that you actually get to set their expectations. Yeah, we, we were um, talking about a, a potential project um, earlier this week and... Um, ambitious um, multi-site migration project, and they uh, they're basically asking, well, what what can we get done in kind of a three-month window? And we're looking at all of the content and all of the stuff, and we're we're thinking, you know, basically on their end, like once all the development's done, they're still going to need about two weeks per site to review the content that's been migrated, make changes to it, et cetera, because we know how big their team is and they're not going to be able to do them all at once. And so we look at that, it's like, well, that's actually three months of just content migration mm. review on your side mm. after all the development's done, plus any revisions on top of that. Like, there's just no way that, that's going to happen, mm. right? Um, and ha having um, having a good understanding of like the entirety of what goes into a project, I think, is really important. Mm. Any ideas for getting referrals from from your existing clients? Um, we we do ask clients to be references sometimes, but. Um, this is, a, I feel like um, really bad at it. Like crowd favorite, 
as it is right now with with me running it is <laughs> very unmaximized. <laughs> there's there's a lot more that they can can be brought out of it. I was talking with one of our project managers since. And uh, we were talking about how kind of it's sort of like an iceberg. Like you can only see the tip of it, right? We're we're doing all this other stuff that that we don't publicize well enough and don't talk about. And but it's the stuff that helps us have a really strong foundation and base. Um, and and uh, I I think that uh, like our, for us launching our new website and setting up a blog was. Um, a way for us to start talking about a few more of the things that that we're doing, and um, hopefully that that'll be interesting to people. Cool. And uh, final question in the elevation round: What's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? <sighs> I, I think you really just have to go where your ideas are. Um, you know, the the thing that's going to differentiate you is is you right? Your ideas, uh, your vision for things. So, if you are really excited about a particular vertical, just you know, follow that vertical. If you've got a particular technical approach or something like that, like you know, follow that. There's um, normally if you're doing interesting stuff, good things will happen. Yeah, that's yeah, really good. Um, all right. What's the future for Crowd Favorite? Well, I think we know what the future is. The merger is <laughs> Velo Media. So, so how big's the team now? Once once the merger has happened with Velo Media, how big's the, the how big's the company? I think we'll be around forty or so, 40, okay. 45. Um, and that'll be in five five development offices, six total offices. Um, so the the model is one of distributed offices, not distributed teams. So gotcha. there's a, an LA office, a Las Vegas office, a Denver office, a New York office, a Bucharest office, and a Rome office. Yeah. And um, you know th- those teams are all going to be capped around you know fifteen ish people or so, um, so that. Each team has a, a good culture where uh, we can have, you know, fairly flat structures and autonomy and things like that. So, like, we, we effectively become, you know, the Denver office um, for for crowd favorite. So, I interviewed Jake yesterday from Ten Up and was kind of saying, mm-hmm. you know, Ten Up is the biggest in terms of numbers, the biggest kind of WordPress shop on the planet, so to speak. But I think crowd favorite might actually be the biggest in terms of numbers. Yeah, I mean, being the biggest has never never been the goal. Uh, the, I, I, my hat's off to Jake. I don't know how he's managed the growth that he has at the speed that he has. I mean, I I know that I couldn't have handled growing any faster than we did, um, given where my priorities were on culture and quality. Uh, I, you know, he he clearly must have had more experience in this. Than, well, when than I, I publish did. the interview, I'll send you a link, and you can because I asked him yeah. that question. You can check it out. Yeah. Um, what's the just quickly? What's the future of WordPress look like? Do you think will it become the app platform that that Matt so so much wants it to become? Do you think it will continue just to be? A CMS for business websites? Will it go back to a simple blogging platform? What do you think the future looks like? Um, 
I don't think it's a good general purpose app platform. I think that um, it would need to evolve considerably to become that. I think that it's good for specific types of applications. Um, Capsule being a, a great example. Uh, I've got another little system that I built for uh, basically logging HR requests and things like that. So anything that's kind of a, a journal content type um, application, WordPress could, could be a good platform for. I don't think it'll go back to being a simple blog system, although I think that blogging on WordPress is now maybe more complicated than it needs to be. So I could see... Um, I, I think that more flexibility in the admin, more customization in the admin is a place that WordPress needs to go. And I've been... Um, I, I've been... Championing this viewpoint for a couple of years with um, without much success, but uh, I think that the admin does need to be able to um, be simplified for more simple use cases and um, customized for um, more specific, robust si- uh, sites and, and applications. Mm. Um, so I, I think that some of the flexibility that has been added in order to enable MP6 um, is probably going to start bringing us in that direction, which would be great. Um, I, yeah, I think that the the biggest risk to WordPress is um, that you know all all software platforms seem to have an arc where you know at some point there's a lean, hungry, lightweight um, competitor that comes along and starts eroding market share, right? Like Nginx to Apache, right? So um, I think that that's kind of something that, that WordPress needs to think about. You know, how can it be this robust, rich platform that supports, you know, solid internationalization and all of these edge cases across all these different um, server platforms and things, and and still um, fend off some of these more targeted uh, products, mm. like Ghost or Medium, for example. Yep, those are great examples. I'll stick them in the show notes. I must say, I, I I'm reading Medium uh, just about daily now, and it's. Just gorgeous. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I haven't played with Ghost, but I've, I've know John. I've spoken to him. I've had him on the podcast, and I really like what he's doing there. And I think you're right, particularly about the admin. You know, for, for us that use WordPress, we log in and it's very familiar. I was sitting in front of WordPress the other day with someone who'd never used it before, and they started, you know, working on a page, and they were just grabbing images off their desktop and just chucking them straight in the visual editor like you would expect you would be able to with a modern web app. And they were just kind of going, hmm, well, that's clearly broken. Why doesn't that work the way it's supposed to? <laughs> like, you know. yeah. And another question was, why, are there no, why is there no folder structure in the media library? I'm like, yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Like, that should just be out of the box, you know? Yeah, I, I need to check to see if there's a plugin for this. But, like, the big thing for me is um, the page hierarchy, too. Like, it should be a columnar... Um, set up like the OSX Finder, right? Yeah. Where you 
choose a level, and at that level you can reorder to set the you know drag and drop to set the the page yeah. order and things like that. And you should be able to drill down. I mean, it's ridiculous. You like you get to page three, and your things yeah. split. Your sub things split over X number of yeah. pages. And there's a plugin I use called CMS Page Tree View, which basically uh, does that. It sets out. It's it's a. It just puts an extra menu item in the pages menu, and it also puts a widget on your dashboard, and it allows you to uh, drill in and and um, opens and closes your page structure like a tree. Uh, view and then you can uh, from the, that page you can just click on a page and edit it and it'll take you to the edit page screen and you can drag and drop to reorder as well. Yeah, I'll check that out. But I, I still think that a tree view is the wrong. Um, the, it's the wrong visual metaphor because uh, once you have a couple hundred pages at a certain yeah. level, a tree is not a, yeah. the right tool. Yeah, you're right. Uh, interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where WordPress goes over the next few years and where. What's the future for Alex King? Um, more of the same. I hope. Uh, just uh, keep working on uh, the things that interest me. Keep keep building a good team and working with the good folks here. And um, yeah, I'm just looking, enjoying where I'm at, and looking forward to more of it. Awesome. Just before we say goodbye, uh, quick uh, details on the competition. Alex is very kindly giving away a copy of Ramp, which is like 250 bucks, I think. Um, you, it's awesome. Check it out. So in order to enter the competition, leave a comment under this video and tell Alex the number one feature that you would like to see in a future version of Ramp. So you should probably check out the website first to make sure it's not already in there. Uh, I'll get Alex to swing by in a couple of weeks' time and award the prize to the best feature request and then I'll, we'll get in touch and you'll get a copy of Ramp. Sound good, Alex? Sounds great. Awesome. Um, where can people reach out and say thanks to you for this interview, man? Uh, my website, alexking.org. Um, I'm alexking.org on Twitter and uh, crowdfavorite.com for the business. Cool. And finally, who would you like me to try and interview and why? Oh, good question. <laughs> Um, you should get Kareem on here and ask him some of the same questions you asked it's me. It's funny because as we're in the middle of this interview, I've actually written that down. I've actually written, <laughs> I've actually written that down that I want to get I want to get Kareem on the on the podcast. So I will. Yeah, he's got he's got some great stories to tell about his background. He's had uh, he's done some really interesting stuff. Cool. Well, Kareem, I'm coming to get you courtesy of Alex King. So keep your eyes on your inbox. I'll, I'll get you on the podcast. Hey, Alex, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners and viewers are going to get a lot out of this. And I wish you all the best uh, for the merger with Velo Media. I wish you all the best professionally and all the best for your health for the future and uh, look forward to uh, keeping in touch. Thanks, Trey. I really enjoyed it. Cheers. Thanks, mate.